Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, The Local What's the Plan, Monterey County, where we cover all things Monterey, all the way from Santa Cruz. Well, it would be Santa Cruz County, although I don't know if we've talked about Santa Cruz before, but we used to on the on the radio, all the way down to uh, the beautiful oil fields of Bradley and uh, over to uh, the Big Sur rugged coastline and back up to the Monterey Peninsula. However, we do spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the beautiful seaside hamlet of Pacific Grove, which is all of our favorite topics. Uh, and I'm with my uh, trusty, trusty co-hosts, Mark and Dan. Mark and Dan, what do you got going on this week? Anything in your personal lives that uh, the listeners might want to hear about? No. <laughs> all right, Dan. <laughs> well, personal life, I, I usually don't go into, but right now I'm going through another hundred uh, lucky Monopoly tickets, seeing if I could actually win something after having 500 of these cockamamie things, I have not won anything except a pizza and an energy drink. So for all of you who are out there saying, guy, I can't win over 500 and I haven't won. So just a caveat out there for people who think they're going to win these grocery store giveaways. I, well, Dan, I didn't know you were an avid uh, game gamer or gambler, but uh, <laughs> the... I'm not, I'm not a gamer per se, but I'm a person that's into... Um, you know, things of chance. Uh, I've been known to wager on football games and basketball games and things like that. I'm not not a uh, by any means a, a uh, addicted to it or lose you know the the family home or something. But uh, um, yeah, there's just something about getting stuff for free too that I always liked. You know, back when I ran uh, nightclubs and stuff, you'd get. Uh, um, back when you could legally and sometimes when you weren't supposed to uh liquor companies would come in and they knew the way to my heart carrying their liquor was to give me you know t-shirts you got dan, neon lights dan were you one of those guys i went to uh college in the early 90s with a bunch of guys who smoke cigarettes and they would save up these uh <laughs> joe camel dollars and they would try to buy like like a raft or something. I, I don't know, like a, 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 or t-shirt. No, no, I, I, no, I did, did work somewhere once uh, in, in a nightclub, actually, years ago, or a live music venue, as we like to call them, because it's a little bit classier. And um, there were guys in there, because back then you could smoke in those places. And there were guys that would go around uh, fighting over empty cigarette packs because they would tear the the uh, uh, lucky points or whatever out of the bottom of the packs. And then, like you say, go get something. So they didn't even have to smoke or, you know, buy the cigarettes or anything else. They were just going and picking what up always, other people's trash. What always cracked me up about those prizes, too, at least with the camel prizes, I don't know how they were with the marble prizes, but there was always some dissonance or like some distance between the life of a smoker and the aspirational life of a smoker because the prize is always like a backpacking backpack, or a backpacking <laughs> tent, or like you know, some kind of like a, you know, a camelback. I don't know if camelbacks existed back then, but it always like some super active like I'm going to go out and take on the world and sur you know survive in the wilderness kind of thing, and uh, usually the chain smokers were the farthest thing from that. Yeah, but, they're uh, they, yeah they're dragging their oxygen tanks behind right. them on some. What yeah. they, what they <laughs> would really what the smokers would what would be appropriate for the smokers would be the world's largest big screen TV and a universal remote control and a lazy boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With built in to your audience, know your audience. <laughs> If they, yeah, truthfully, yeah, if they did have those prizes now, it would be like one of those camping coolers that that keeps your beer cold while yeah. uh, camping. But <laughs> with built-in we, we uh, built ashtrays. Yeah, we built yeah. I think yeah, we learned you. a little something about Dan, and uh, but we learned absolutely nothing about Mark, which yeah. is sad. But Dan used to run the PG Press back in, in the Halcyon days of last year, and uh, we miss it, Dan. Uh, oh, I miss it back. too. And you know, I was uh, where? Oh. Uh, Last, year, last uh, weekend was my alumni, 50th uh, alumni celebration from PG High, and they also have all the alumni get together, too. And between the two things, I must have had half a dozen people tell me how much they they missed the paper. Do you, think you, could, do you think you could do, like, a monthly? Like, maybe you know, we could bankroll a monthly one, because that would... We might be able to afford that. Maybe we should look into it. With with what's going on right now in the city and how much needs to get out of there, the Pinecone's doing a good job. The weekly, oh, not so much, but when the Herald, forget it. Um, so I, 
you know, I'm really tempted. Um, part of me says to, to, and it would be a monthly. I have no desire to do anything more than that. Uh, but uh, there's a chance. There's just too much going on that people are uh, on social media are basically taking over the narrative. Right. And there's so much misinformation. There is so much uh, vitriol. There is so much, uh, let's tear down the council, no matter what they do. Um, you know, we, it's... We, yeah, we, we, could, we could have a guest uh, editorial from a, a next-door user every week. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that How would about be a the, point we counterpoint? Could, yeah, yeah, we could call that the idiot's corner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the lack of knowledge of whatever topic people tend to be, you know, bloviating about on next door is incredible. For example, yeah. this week, uh, one of the topics that's come up on next door is uh, there is a, um, a rather large eucalyptus tree next to the PG post office that has like a 30 degree lean in it. And mm -hmm. it's, they've gotten permits to take it down. And a fair number of people are writing about this, about how we need to get up a petition, a citizens committee, and we need to stop this. And yet the tree, the tree is a danger to life and it's a danger to the building and the people that work in the post office building because it could fall over on them. And I have to say, I'm not an arborist, Mark, yeah. but I have a couple things about eucalyptus trees. Uh, particularly because I've worked on the Navy base, is they have really shallow roots. They're yes. very big and heavy, and they are not indigenous to... Uh, they were actually imported as they were supposed to be used for, for wood for constructing houses because they're fast-growing, but the wood in, in the eucalyptus tree twists too much, yeah. so it doesn't make good wood to build houses out of, whereas it does in other places where well, apparently it doesn't grow the same way. But it, you know that giant, for example, I know this to be a fact, the outage that we had this winter that lasted for five days. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was the, that there was, was a eucalyptus across was, from the Navy school. Yep, it was a partially a pine tree. There was a large uh, pine tree as well, but a eucalyptus tree took out that high voltage line that goes to the substation that's by the uh, by the sports center. Sure. And that took it out. So those things will come down in a windstorm. So that threat is real. And that tree may come down and it could do a significant amount of damage to that historic post office. So right. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think I'm kind of saying that their, their viewpoint on this is somewhat idiotic. Well, yeah. Anyway. And this is the point I was, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a couple points here. One is it illustrates the ignorance of people that write on next door. And one of the things that they don't understand and that, well, we're going to get up and we're going to stop this. Well, first off you can't, because the tree arborists have said the tree needs to come down. So number one, professionals that know trees say, no, it can't be saved and that it's dying. Number two, even more importantly, and this could circle back to the NOAA uh, building, but this tree's on federal property and so is the post office. And guess who doesn't have to get permits from the city yeah. when they want to do something, and that is a federal agency. Now, to be nice guys, post uh, the postmaster went down and got one. But if they want to play hard ass and bring you know a tree cutter out there tomorrow and cut that thing down, they can do it. And all the and, and all the tree lovers, all they can do is pound salt at the next city council meeting. But it's but see Dan and, and Paul. It's this kind of ignorance in the community that really gets up my nose, that people do not understand the dis differences between what is the city's purview, the county's purview, the state's purview, and the federal government's purview. And because so few people ever studied physics, or physics, not physics, but civics in school, and paid attention to civics, they forgot all about that federal supremacy clause. And under that supremacy clause in the Constitution, that's what gives the federal government to do carte blanche with whatever it is that they want to do in your community. And so many people in this community that get a dander up and write on, on uh, you know, next door and Facebook and everything else about this stuff are always ignorant of these facts. And when you try to explain that to them, you get a, a lot of, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No, there's no yeah, but.
okay? The federal government can do what they want, and it's mind over matter. They don't mind, and you don't matter, period. End of story. I I go on Nextdoor, really, for pictures of people's cats and uh, people fascinated <laughs> by deer. Usually they're lost. Yeah. And usually someone's got an end table that's got a, it's got a wobbly <laughs> leg. <laughs> they need a good home for it. But uh, I agree. But, but uh, in all seriousness, I do hundred percent agree with you, Mark on that. It's that those are the, the vexing part of next door. But the fun part of next door is usually someone, you know, they saw an orca breach and they want to show a video of it. And it's kind of. <laughs> oh, the picture, pictures <laughs> of ocean life, you know, or pictures of sunset. Okay. This is next door. We all live here. We've all experienced this. I don't really need to see your photos. I'm sorry. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Dan, so, so I hate photos I hate, next door or something. Get, get I hate to be a I, Dan, I hate to be a contrarian, but it, you, you show me a picture of a sea otter opening up some sort of a, mus, a muscle or a clam or something. I'm 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 all in on that. I, I'm sorry, I can't see it. Well, you can go down the beach. Where do you got to go? A hundred <laughs> feet from your house to see it, Paul? I mean, I, roughly, it but. That- it, but, but I, I want to sit on my couch and see it. Why should I? Yeah, well, it, it, well they, you could always do the uh, video thing. I think they got a video feed at the aquarium for the otters. Maybe you, yeah. you could sit on your couch and do that. Well, we have uh, we have burned a lot of time talking about nothing, but I love it. Is uh, But there's a lot of racism talk going on in all of Monterey County. I mean, it's. From the war in Israel to people calling in and just using the N-word during PG council meetings, it has been a, quite the racist week. Uh, on uh, Primarily, mainly been anti-Zion racism and then apparently anti-Semitic uh, and uh, anti-Black and Hispanic. Uh, I don't know what went on in this Pacific Grove City Council meeting. Do you have any, any uh, light on that, Dan? Because they just came in and just started well, I was, uh, doing every I was racial watching- epithet in the world. Yeah, I was watching it. I, it's probably the same clowns that were doing it. And uh, I think the Monterey City Council had something similar happen to them. It's a problem with Zoom where you don't have to identify yourself. You can maybe, be maybe the NAACP had a, uh, had a has a point here. But I think Tyler Tyler Williamson was like he did something like you have to have a verifiable email address or something before you can do Monterey City Councils now. Right. And What's I, the deal there? I don't know that that's legal to do that because, like, if you're at the meeting and you get up to speak, you don't have to identify yourself. Uh, yeah. There's no requirement whatsoever for you to do that. And but what happened the other night was so vile. And the the funny thing was, people because it's such jarring, jarring, uh, were you know, uh, slanderous word, whatever you want to call racist words that they were using uh, against people of color, uh, that it was lost how much they were saying about Jewish people. And it was way more about Jewish people than it was about blacks and Hispanics. So, uh, but the Herald of course, only basically said it was blacks and Hispanics. That has kind of surprised me about this whole Israeli. I mean, we've seen it locally. There's free Gaza on the, you know, the, someone put seaweed, and it's right. free Gaza on the sand, sand dudes. And it, it's been surprising to me how much anti-Jewish hatred there is because I've found Jewish people to be, I mean, I know I work around tons of uh, people who are Jewish and um, they're delightful as far as I'm, they, they're very like, they're really about family and, and like productivity and education and like, inventing cool i mean almost all of them are like really industrious and i don't know i mean that maybe even sounds racist but a lot of the jewish people i know have been very you know very industrious as far as like really really awesome people and i and and kind of a a really kind of fun to be around and i don't i don't understand why people hate them so much well what what really bothers me is uh, among many things on this is just how uh People have r- risen up like this against Jewish people and against, you know, don't go in and hurt the Palestinians. No, it's Hamas we want to hurt. It's not the Palestinians. Palestinians, fine. Hamas, bad. It's like in the United States. White supremacist, bad. The rest of America, pretty to, good. To your point, so, Dan, it's like I, you've all seen the videos like of, of the women getting um, abducted who had yep. clearly been raped because of the blood on their clothes. And... And there, I mean, I haven't sought it out, but there's there's horrible stories about beheading of babies and stuff, and and you don't hear anything about that. It's all well, 
it's all this well, like the to the river breed. to the sea stuff and i'm like what are you guys talking about these guys they i mean and, and to my mind and maybe i need to learn more about the palestinian plight but to my mind is the palestinians are given tons of aid and what's keeping them from becoming the next haifa because if you look what well, haifa is it's a huge port i mean gaza is in a in a wonderful spot it could be an industrial or a transportation hub and they're getting so much aid and i don't understand how they couldn't use some of that direct foreign investment to to develop infrastructure to really create tons of business and flourish on their own instead they described the 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 conditions they have there as an open air prison and all this other stuff and i i mean are are the israelis preventing them from like accepting cargo ships or well, like using some of that aid to to develop industries i don't know i don't believe so but here's what what really rankles me too about this is there is a certain segment of this country when one black person and not to minimize anybody's life because if it's my life you know it's pretty darn important to me but one one black guy is killed back in the midwest by a cop this whole country just goes crazy so you know 9-11 whole country goes crazy so let's go to israel where you got Again, not the Palestinians. You got Hamas going in Israel, killing close to two thousand people. They say, you know, say anywhere between thirteen hundred and two thousand. Let's say they take another two hundred, like you say, abysmally. They suppose theoretically, and I wasn't there, but I believe the uh, reports I've heard that you know, killed babies, killed people that survived the Holocaust, for goodness sake, killed grandmas and mothers, just wiped out whole kibbutzes just because, why? So in Palestine, and it's not so much anymore, maybe because it's not happening, but for years, if a kid that was throwing rocks somehow got killed in Palestine, it was all over the national news in the United States. Well, no, and, and, and I, and I, we were know, supposed to be upset about that one person, just like we were George Floyd, just like we were uh, Rodney uh, um, King. Yeah. King, you know, where now you, I, I heard today the equivalent population-wise would be if somebody invaded the United States, say drug kingpins or whatever, and killed fifty thousand people, and we're yeah, supposed to not hold it against them or going to Mexico, Mexico to find them and do something about it, then. Yeah. Now we've gravitated toward the board of supervisors, who it's really none of their damn business. Getting involved in some things, people need to stay in their lane. And the board of supervisors, though, and to his credit, in, in some respects, Luis Alejo introduces something to say, we reject uh, and abhor what happened in Israel and what Hamas did. And he wrote a two-page thing spelling out exactly what the problems were and stuff, which to any rational person seems to be correct that all killing's bad, no matter what side it's on, and but what Hamas did is is reprehensible. And your friend, not mine, Wendy Rudaskew, could not vote for that. Nor could Mary Adams, who is the representative of all three of us at the Board of Supervisors, because there was language they didn't like. Now, when they were specifically asked what language would that be, because that's usually what's asked at one of these meetings, and then you wordsmith it and change it, they couldn't even come up with something. And Wendy said, well, I came up with my position after talking to my refugee Palestinian next-door neighbors. Oh, so that's now your constituency is your next door neighbors, the Palestinians, as opposed to everybody else that lives in your district. And well, this is the kind may, of may leadership a, that is just does not. There's a vacuum there. These are not leaders. People that cannot take a position on something like this and wordsmith it so it was acceptable and it was what the people of this area and of the United States as a whole, not the wackos that are out there, you know, uh, uh, supporting Palestinians. Of course, all of them wearing masks now or, you know, scarves around their mouth or whatever to hide their thing. What we should be doing is finding out if each one of these people are indeed citizens of the United States and if they aren't, deport their ass out of here. <laughs> well, well you talk about like a vacuum. Take... The, the only vacuum I know of is the space between the uh, the ears of the supervisors that vote against this. 
There's the vacuum. That's crazy. When I heard about it, and I heard about it through the pine cone, because nobody else was covering it. Nobody. No no TV station, no newspaper, no, nobody. And then the pine cone writes about it, and then I look into it and stuff, and I'm going to be there next week, Wendy, if you happen to be listening to this, and I look forward to telling you what I think of you in person but uh, and your vote on this, but I find it abhorrent. That we have gotten to the point where we try to be so politically correct and mamby-pamby that people can go and behead babies. I don't give a damn whose side you're on. If the Israelis went in and beheaded babies in, in Palestine or into Gaza, I would have a real problem with that. It doesn't matter who you are. It's just you, you're, when you're combatants, you're combatants. Combatants of Hamas are not people that are enjoying a music festival. Boy, that's really manly of you guys, you know, that you go and you just slaughter a bunch of innocent people at a music festival or grandmas or babies. Boy, you know, and the Palestinians back this and we have people in the United States that back this. And every damn last one of them needs to go somewhere other than the same community in which I live, the same schools where my kids go to school and stop their abhorrent reactions to this just because of where they came from or what their ethnicity is and to have the people that represent us on the board of supervisors not to be able to say something against this to agree on something saying this is abhorrent is abhorrent to me and by the way glenn church also voted against this so so that people I, don't say I'm i, I want to offer a, a slightly nuanced position to this dan although i i'm firmly on the side of israel on this I don't understand why the Monterey County of Supervisors has to even vote on this. Our farm roads are some of the crappiest in the nation. They could be working to get those things, uh, you know, made of concrete so that all the farm trucks don't create thousands, you know, huge potholes everywhere. And that would increase our productivity as a county and increase the export of produce to all over the, the nation and, and make us better as a county. Like, they shouldn't even be weighing in on this, but if they are going to weigh in on it, they shouldn't make idiots of themselves, as you're pointing out. But I would say they need to focus on Monterey County and not global politics. This is just as dumb as the Salinas City Council voting on Ron DeSantis. It's like, shut up. Yep. Like, you know, you guys Again, are- stay in your lane. Stay you in know? your lane. Yeah. And we're, we're obviously unpaid commentators about the, uh, <laughs> the uh, local. I want to shift gears a little bit. We did get a comment on uh, a couple podcasts ago. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, uh, Christy, um, mentioned Dan Miller, and she said, uh, basically, you were referring to Vista Point low-income senior project built in PG in 2006. That was not Section 8, she said. And uh, you're aware that Monterey has workforce housing, inclusionary housing, and low-income senior projects and other affording housing projects proposed behind City Hall, all moving forward for the housing element compared to how far PG, behind PG is and doing nothing, she said. And she goes, I'm the one Mr. Miller was referring to saying I felt entitled to stay in PG, but all these projects I talked about that Monterey was doing uh, we're in the context of the housing element. So I think what she's saying is basically that she wants to stay in PG and PG is doing nothing like Monterey is to provide low-income housing. Uh, Dan, I just wanted you to be okay. apprised on air of uh, yeah. Christian's so, comments. First of all, I have never said Vista Point's Section 8 housing. have never said that. It's low-income senior housing. I was through the whole process. I was there every meeting. I don't think Christy was. So never even met the woman, though, a couple of uh, years or so ago. So all the meetings, hundreds of meetings I've been to, uh, probably at least a dozen concerning that, can tell you just about everything there is to do with that housing element, including that we it was always represented that people from Pacific Grove would be moving in there. And then I, the minute they took government money, you can't let just people from Pacific Grove be there. So as much as you want low-income government housing to be built in Pacific Grove, there is no first-come, first-served people of Pacific Grove that is part of that the minute they accept governmental dollars or tax breaks. So stop thinking that somehow this, this housing element is going to be the panacea to everything everybody wants. First of all, it's being challenged now over 50%, not Pacific Grove, because 
goodness knows what our seven representatives were doing at the League of California Cities, but they didn't sign on to something for the state saying, hey, we do not like the, the idea that you're making decisions like this for us and forcing us to come up with this many housing units when we don't have the space to do it. We did not sign on to that. 50%, over 50% of the governmental agencies in the state of California that were at the League of California cities signed on to it. But Pacific Grove did not. Now, again, because, and I would imagine it was probably the mayor was our voting guy. Uh, we have a lack of backbone and leadership in the city of Pacific Grove. And uh, it, it exists in a lot of other places too. You see it every freaking day. And, um, and it's sad because I don't know that that's ever gonna get turned around or people, instead of looking at the party, they, look at, uh, they don't look to see somebody that's a, an actual leader. You can't, nobody's going to agree with everything somebody says. Politician, your next door neighbor, your wife, your husband, your kids, whatever. So you kind of compromise along the way and say, I might not agree with that. But you know what? Common sense tells me that what those loons want right now, and in this case, it's these housing elements. Uh, and if you anybody watches the presentation and you can get it on the Pacific Grove City website, it was the biggest waste of $300,000 in the history of this world. I could have sat down and in the space of two weeks done the same darn report. So it's uh, at some point in time, the state has to realize there's a guy, Scott Wiener. So probably aptly named, Scott Wiener does more to affect the city of Pacific Grove than the city council does. And he's a he's an assemblyman from up in the Bay Area, and people have to realize he's this. He's a lawyer. Stuff. He's a lawyer, probably. No, he's a, he's an assembly member, and he okay. might be a lawyer. He's he's a clown. I know that. So that might just be at parties on the weekend or something. But it's uh, it's out of control, you know, because he's the guy that's introducing all this this crap that we then have to live with. And it's taking away almost all control of the local entities. Yeah, and I, you know, obviously centralized power is never, never, ever good. But the PG Council, they did approve that plan, and they've sent it on to the state government, correct? Is yeah, right? but they did it kind of willy-nilly. There was problems with it that uh, Councilmember Beck and um, uh, Coletti actually doing their jobs were bringing up. Whereas we got the other clowns, uh, uh, Nick Smith, Emilio, Chaps Padori. Remember that name next next election, not to vote for. But uh, they, they just, oh, okay, this is fine. No questions, no clue. Doesn't matter that they didn't have the mission linen site on there. Did, no one took them to task for that. Uh, that they said that the schools were owned by the city. I mean, just stupid stuff in there. And Anastasia Wyatt, who we, was the community development director that left here and, you know, throwing up her hands and saying how horrible her work conditions were and stuff, goes to uh, Monterey for God knows what reason hired her. This is the fourth place she's worked in like five years and uh, get, getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. But she left us in the lurch. She, she did not leave notes. She did not leave anything that would tell us who she talked to, what input she gave to anybody. Did she go talk to uh, the people that own these properties to see if they would indeed entertain the idea of making a mixed use or putting low-income housing? She gave us nothing and just walked away, what, two weeks before this was presented to the council. You know, this is the stuff when people and they're on social media and adults on the weekly criticize the council, that the council members that try to hold staff accountable to what's going on. Look at it with the eye of that's their job. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that the council is supposed to do, it's supposed to. Well, there's two things set policy, but also you need to hold staff accountable. And if they're not doing their job and you got a city manager like we had, then would allow people to uh, 
go continue in a world of mediocrity, which meant all of us living here had to be in that world, then A, he has to go, but B, any council that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing has to go, and you get a city manager in there, chosen by the council, hopefully smartly, that then does something about getting staff under control and get professionals. I brought up a thing, and not to be the whole show here, but and because I'll kind of leave it at this, and then you guys can go and go on with what what you guys want to say. But we and I brought it up at the council meeting uh, Wednesday night. We have a city clerk, an assistant city clerk, and now they're hiring at uh, I think it's about fifty-five to seventy-two thousand dollars a year. Somebody to be in charge. Of the uh, of the cemetery mm. for decades, decades and decades, we had no assistant city clerk. That's something new in the past few years. We used to have a person for decades and de- decades that was the city clerk, no assistant city clerk, and no cemetery person. And somehow that city clerk was able to be the cemetery person, the assistant city uh, city clerk, and the city clerk. So now the the city clerk that's being paid over 100 right around 150 grand a year now needs an assistant city clerk and a cemetery person to help them. So two more full-time people to help them even though they're making almost 150 grand a year just like the the IT guy now Dan you're not going to get to $170,000 a year with no no one your supervisor. You have to supervise someone to get to 170. Well, it's there, my friend. Realize they, they're getting they're getting over twenty grand a year just in medical stuff. Then when wow. you start paying a percentage of their purse, it it's well. I, I you would think you thought, just I thought got AI percent raises, and I thought AI was going to make us all more uh, productive, particularly in the ad. Nope, you would think computers would be too, huh? Yeah. Well, it's I have to not. say, Dan. On, on behalf of me and Mark, you need to learn to open up and tell us exactly how you feel. Now, Mark, <laughs> I, I told I you last it. week I was going to start cooling down and be calmer, but no, no, don't no, do I, it. I, Dan, I get riled Dan up. We, we would not want that from you. And uh, we, you bring it. You bring it every show. And Mark, I'm about to I'm, I'm going to go off on something else here for a second. But while I'm doing this short little interlude, I want you to think about your favorite story of the week. And I want you to do your, do your best style Dan Rand. Actually, do it in the style of Mark Carbonero. Well, my favorite. Kind of thoughtful. Can I do my bit first here, though? Well, I was just going to say that my my favorite story of the week was the one I mentioned out of next door about the tree. So I've already done it. So. Take oh, you've away. already shot your load? Yep, well, I have. Think of another one. <laughs> While I'm talking about the Nacho Business Macarito. I want you to uh, think of another story, but Nacho Business introduces this thing called the Macarito, Dan. And, and apparently the Macarito is, if you've ever been to Nacho Business, it's on, uh, it's near Fleet Feet on uh, on Alvarado Street in downtown Monterey. They have this, okay, it's 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 mac and cheese, crispy waffle fries, uh, anchorito sauce, and uh, carne asada. And, it, and it's, uh, apparently it just looks like this giant mess, but I'm telling you what, Nacho Business for their money, they have drunk food. Like if you're drunk at like 11 PM and you need something to eat, you go to nacho business. It is, it is, I'm over the moon for it because I'm telling you what they, they, they're stationed perfectly. You just walk from Alvarado street brewery right on down to nacho business and get yourself one of these macaritos and it's ridiculous. So Mark, hopefully I bought you enough time. What do you got? Okay. So it's the housing element thing again. And it's circling back to the NOAA building. We've, you know, we've still got people who um, are really concerned that uh, that the Coastal Commission or that the state of California is going to come in and uh, hammer the city over this and make them build housing on that site, not recognizing the deed restrictions that uh, that exist uh, with that from the federal government and the open space restrictions. So uh, that's that's the thing that's, you know, got me, you know, agitated again is that there is, you know, I, I don't know how you put these kinds of things to bed, basically. I just don't know. Okay. Hey, Mark, they, yes. had, they had somebody, one of the planning commissioners who shouldn't be there uh, during this discussion of this, not only was Noah, you know, everybody's going against that. 
So to make it even worse, during the same thing that everybody's saying, save, save that spot, save it, save it, he proposed taking out the two par five golf holes that are nearest the uh, Sally Griffin Senior Center and turning those into housing. So we'd go out, Paul, you and I could go out and play a quick 16 at the PG golf link, you know? <laughs> It's just like the the and like this is okay and it's like they don't we, these people are put in positions and thank you Bill Peak who didn't appoint me I put in didn't appoint me to the planning commission even though with all my experience wouldn't want experience let put the guy in there that doesn't know a thing about all the deed restrictions that are on the golf course. What I don't understand. Okay, now this is a, a more of a philosophical question that I I want to. It, it kind of stretching back to the state because like I always look at the state government as trying to be like Lord of the Rings where the, if they could just, whoever holds the ring has all the power and you know how like, well, it's not necessarily true anymore, but the U S constitution was, was written with enumerated powers. So basically they say it's, it's kind of like under the concept is like the government can only do the things that we tell it can do everything else it can't do. So basically it has to be, within its purview of things to do. And they want to limit the number of things that the government, at least the founders wanted to limit the number of things that the government could do. And they wanted to push freedom to the lowest level. And I don't understand like why it wouldn't be baked into every state constitution that land use should be the local government. It should be at the lowest level, at least at the county level, if not lower. So I don't understand how like CEQA and, and the Coastal Commission ever got approved because it seems like Every county should get, to, or every individual community should get to choose, unless they've decided that there's some external externality. Like, if they decided to pollute the ocean in Santa Cruz County, that it affects Monterey County. Maybe that's how it works. But to my mind, I think there's way too many limitations on on what the local governments can do. Because, like, like I mentioned last week, like if you had a Houston or a or a Tokyo. Like and you just allowed that to happen in 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 somewhere in California, we would see how beautiful it is to be able to to develop without all these restraints. Because if you're allowed to, even SpaceX, there was a great article about SpaceX in Texas. The federal government is holding up when they can launch because the Fish and Wildlife is saying their launches are affecting some some fish or whatever in the Rio Grande Valley. It's like it should be up to the local governments, and I really don't understand why or how this works. Like, why does Gavin Newsom get all that power? Does does Gavin Newsom really know more about Pacific Grove yeah. than Chaps, Pidori? I don't think so. <laughs> Boy, and, and that's really saying something. It is. Well, <laughs> so well, I don't know. Like, Go ahead. Well, it, I don't know if you watched it, Paul. I don't know that you've lived here long enough, but the DLI, you know, as Mark well knows, they're in, they're like the principality of Monaco being surrounded by France. You know, they yeah. build whatever they want. They close off roads wherever they want. They do whatever they want. You think you have a, a, any clue whatsoever that's being done on the DLI as a general member of the public? Good luck. They could cut oh, down. Same, with, same with MPS. But but to, to yeah, that point, exactly. Dan. But to that point, Dan, I. Well, I would argue the DLI because there's like the Wharton School of Business in uh, in Pennsylvania. Right. It's in a very it's very the housing prices there are very limited. So the argument to keep DLI and uh, the Naval Postgraduate School here is like, oh well, we have to attract talented professors. Well, apparently they can attract talented professors at the Wharton School, and it's no problem. The real reason they're staying here is because they have the support of people like um, Jimmy Panetta. Because I think, personally, the local residents would love nothing more than to do to DLI and MPS what San Francisco did to Treasure Island. And that would be a great, great deficit to the local community. And and I, you know, and, and you're right. But I think the uh, DLI and the Naval Postgraduate School now play very, I mean, they're playing in the water credit system. They're trying to, you know, get along with the local community. But someday, those folks are going to move out of here. They're going to move to Kansas or Texas. I you know, maybe not in five years, but maybe if it keeps going like it is, because I don't know how they can peacefully coexist. It happens, you know, exactly what happened in San Francisco will happen in Monterey if, if we keep going down this road. Well, oh, but, go ahead, but, Mark. Well, here's the, <clears throat> I think the, the difference here is that uh, when they when they got rid of the Presidio in San Francisco, the economic impact was replaced by the growth of the, uh, of, of high tech in San Francisco, part of, you know, Silicon Valley spreading up that way. And 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, a city the size of San Francisco, the um, the presence of the Presidio leaving wasn't going to be a huge shock to the economy of, of that city. Maybe the, the neighborhoods around it, but certainly not for the entire city. Whereas you could, if you lost the Navy school and the DLI and all of the payroll that that represents, uh, it would really, really impact this area because, you know, we're talking about jobs, as you know, you know, professors and so forth that are into the six figures and those dollars are spent here. And I know that during the first BRAC, when both schools were targeted for closure along with Ford Ord, one proposal that came up and it, and it really got shot down in community forums by a lot of people in the peninsula, particularly business owners, the idea was, well, you're going to have all this open space at Fort Ord once the post leaves. Let's cordon off, you know, enough room out there. Let's move the DLI and the Navy school out to Fort Ord. We'll have a common campus and have both of them side by side. And the caterwauling that came out of the business community on the peninsula, Monterey and Pacific Grove and Carmel was, hey, wait a minute, don't move those people all the way out there. We need them here in town spending money in the city because that that's what helps sustain us, particularly when tourists aren't here. So I think that you know, it's it's a difference. It's it's a huge difference. You you would have a much larger impact. And although the I don't think the DOD's big concern is, well, what's the economic impact to the Monterey Peninsula if we move these two schools? Because they certainly weren't thinking about that when they got rid of Fort Ord. But from from what I understand, more so with the DLI than the Navy school, and it's this that when they've polled the professors the language instructors, 90% of whom are native speakers and civilians. When they've polled them about moving to Huachuca or to Dayton, (laughs) right? All these places, they've all said no and hell no. And so then the, the people at the DOD, you know, they start studying this and they say, well, if we move the school and the teachers don't go, how long is it going to take us to build back you know that that brain power that, that these people trust, yeah. that brain trust that these people represent, and the estimates are as much as fifteen years. Well, well the we, Air Force does yeah. it. The Air Force does it in Dayton, ironically. Yeah. But we idea. can't we can't take fifteen years off. You know, yeah, I yeah. mean, the way the world yeah, is, yeah. we can't lose fifteen years of of interpreters just because well, the the DoD wants to save a few shekels. By moving the school to, to Arizona, I, I don't think Ohio? I don't think it would be to save a few shekels. I think it would more more to be to get along with the local community a little better. But I think what needs to really change is the Cal. I mean, as we say every week, is is California politics in general. It's like we need to pull our head out of our asses because the only story I think the story that tells it all is the story of Hewlett Packard. Hewlett Packard was a great uh, computer company here in in, in um, California. They like little uh, what is it called Little Basin. Uh, it's like right next to Big Basin. They donated. That was like a retreat center for the Hewlett Packard employees. They donated it to the state parks, and it's a beautiful addition to Big Basin. It's beautiful. Uh, they are the primary reason. I, I know that the owners of the Canary Oil Company would probably argue a little bit about this, but they're the primary reason we have the aquarium, which is the jewel of Monterey now. And the reason for the revitalization of Canary Row was largely because of the charitable giving of Hewlett Packard. Well, because the business environment in California is so shitty – they moved to Texas and that's happening. Like Tesla's doing it. It's like the, I mean, even Jovi aviation, they're going to keep their brains here. They're going to keep their development here in Monterey at the Marina airport, but guess what? They're not going to manufacture their vehicles here. They're going to manufacture them somewhere in like in Indiana or something. I don't know exactly where it is, but you can correct me uh, on email. Um, what's the plan? Monterey.com. But I think that's what really needs to change. Otherwise, as I've said numerous times, when the baby boomers die, Things are going to change around here, and it's going to—it it's, may not—it's going to be a little bit out of control. It'll be like a loose fire hose for a while. But anyway, that's my opinion, and I could be wrong. So, uh, Dan, what do you think? <laughs> hey, it, it is what it is. You know, I—I've always been of the uh, feeling that love, love DLI and and their mission, love postgraduate school and their theirs, and uh, Fort Ord when it was going. But when you start looking at the the cost, and again, 
government seems to not worry about this, but the cost of those places, you know, and Fort Ord that they basically gave away to the cities around them. It's just, you know, again, it's not really good decision-making. I mean, you had Leon Panetta was our congressman at the time, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, 1990-ish, when uh, Fort Orange closure was pushed through. And immediately there was a school there, and to which I said, well, now we'll never have a Republican elected to, in this district, you know, forever, uh, because we got a school there. And we got the Leon Panetti Institute out of it. You know, never, never say never, uh, Dan, because the, yeah, well, the Democrats have their they are so effed up that I I, I well, think even even if you're if you're uh, moderately left wing, I think you may be in the Republican Party within the next 15 minutes at this point. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Well, nothing, nothing would surprise me right now. And I usually don't say, ne you know, never, uh, because who knew that everything would implode so much that. People and and again, you know, this is don't think this is a pro-Trump statement, but Joe Biden is the worst freaking president we've ever had, bar none. Absolutely, and to your point, Ray Dalio, a famous investor, has predicted right? that our chances of World War Three are fifty-fifty, and I tend to agree with him. Like World yeah. War Three, and it is all. I think it all stems from the poor decision making of the Biden administration, and that's not a pro-Trump thing at all because I did. I thought Trump was an idiot with his thumbs but fairly hey, decent with his staff. But anyway, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I just want to go back to one more thing about, about the military here on the peninsula. And one of the things that came up a few months ago, and this was stoked by the Monterey County Weekly, right? You know, they're always stirring shit or trying to stir shit. And they started, they started this narrative about that um, the reason why housing is so scarce, Monterey, Seaside, Pacific Grove, is because the military gives way too generous housing allowances to the officers and the other people that, uh, that are stationed at DLI and the Navy school for them to live off post or off base, all right? And so basically, they're trying to gin up uh, opposition to the schools as a means of... Um, you know, kind of, kind of paving the way well, to. Let me let me just say they have no basic understanding of economics. Well, they're, yeah, they're, they don't. They're morons. They they're morons but, for saying that because, like, if if the Navy kept paying what they paid now and there was abundant housing, then all the military officers would probably live in palaces in Carmel by the Sea. Right. That's what would happen. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. But it, but it, what it, what it reminds me of is a time not so long ago on this peninsula. When the housing allowances that were given to military personnel, particularly enlisted, were barely enough for those families to be able to live in rundown apartments and duplexes in, in uh, military towns like uh, Marina and Seaside. And, and guys, I'm remembering a story from August of 1985, where there was a 13-year-old boy named Danny Holly, whose, whose father was an MP. And he was stationed at Fort Ord and been given TDY in, in South Korea and was out of the country at the time. And so the mom was, was uh, taking care of the family, four kids, two boys and two girls, a 13-year-old boy, Danny Holly, and the rest of the family. And these people were really struggling to make it. There was no dependent housing on the post. So they were living in a home in Marina. And, I mean, they were having to get food stamps and help from food pantries and everything like that. And, and uh, in passing one day, the 13-year-old kid said to his mom, you know, if there was one less mouth to feed in the family, we'd all be better off. The mother didn't really think too much about it. Well, a couple weeks later, she's away from the house with the rest of the kids. He's home, and that boy hung himself. Yeah, yeah, that's... Dan, do you remember that, that story? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, so, so my point is that when people start talking about, oh, the military's getting too much housing allowance and it's hurting the housing market for people here, I want them to remember the story of Danny Holly and what happened that, to that family. That, that is really, that is, that's moving, Mark. But I, I, to your point, Mark, it's like, is really it's heartbreaking on that level but it's like if you look at all the building that's going on out at marina yeah 
that's not enough. Like no. that, all <laughs> of that housing is going to be second homes for people from the Bay Area. Like I bet you, fifty percent of it will be, unless they do, unless they pass some sort of stupid restrictions mm -hmm. on who can buy them. But the thing is, is like. And everybody who says, oh, well, they're only building houses for rich people. And it's like, no, the first houses that are built are going to go to rich people. Like, you have to build enough houses so that even the rich people, once the rich people's, you know, are satiated, then you, there's more houses for the, right. for the other people. It's like, I, there's just not enough yeah. houses. Yeah. It's like there never so will economics. Be. There never, there, there there never will be because there, the suck to the peninsula is so beautiful here. Well, I mean, if you walk down to Silomar, that is a national park level beauty. Right. Like it is so freaking beautiful on a Silomar. Every picture of Monterey, a quote unquote Monterey is of lover's point. Right. You know, it's basically taking from lover's point on, of the purple carpet. Yeah. And, and, and go so the store and you can see them. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, you know, the, the, yeah, the thing, the yeah, thing is, that um, the, tooth, the toothpaste is out of the tube and it's not going back in. Okay, for a long time, housing prices were very reasonable on the peninsula. And then the outside world discovered the Monterey Peninsula. And, you know, there's the old saying that overbuying at the top raises the price of admission at the bottom. And it always does. And, you know, it, why, why didn't Monterey become colonized by the rich in the 30s and 40s and 50s? Well, because... We had canneries, and the town stunk like fish 24 hours a day. So, yeah, people would come down here, and they'd see the beautiful view, but at the same time, they'd take a whiff of jiff, and they'd say, Jesus Christ, let's get the hell out of here. This town stinks. I, and, I think that's it, half the reason the Del, <laughs> historic Hotel Del Monte got abandoned by the Del Monte Corporation, and they moved to Pebble Beach, was because... Monterey was such an asshole. It, it at the smelled time. bad. Yeah, you know, and yeah, there yeah. there was an old saying. There was an old saying years ago, guys, that was Carmel by the sea, PG by God, and Monterey by the smell. Okay, and and once the canneries, That's awesome. once the canneries left, and um, you know, and there was this period of about twenty years of really reasonable if not low housing prices i mean i had friends i had a buddy of mine who was program director of KMBY radio in 1961 he and his family came to town and they rented a three-bedroom two-bath house on surf way where you could run out the front door and run down to the beach 100 feet away and it was i think his daughter said they paid 101 dollars a month rent for that house which would be like a thousand dollars today okay so, so the equivalent of $1,000 a month today to be able to live on the beach, uh, all right? That was, that was the reality of Monterey from about 1960 to 1980. And then in the 80s, things started to change, and it, and it really ramped up when the aquarium opened in 84, and that brought people from all over the world here and a lot of people with money, and they came here and said, oh, my God, this is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Why aren't we here? And, and now, Mark, I have this good, good knowledge here, is that a 500-square-foot studio apartment on Mermaid Avenue by uh, Lover's Point, you're going to be paying $2,800 to $3,000 a month. It's, it has gotten quite – it's gotten a little bit out of uh, hand. <laughs> the thing is, you are seeing – I'm seeing uh, – Places staying out there longer and more and more signs outside of apartment houses of apartments for rent. So I think sooner or later, the market's going I, to. I think you're that. right, because I think a higher interest rates, Dan, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Higher interest oh, rates are going to make people oh, not sell their house. So it's probably going to increase the but, uh, rental stock yeah. or people the just are renting their is, houses. Yeah. The other thing is the no longer. Yeah, no longer. Uh, if you can't work from home. You know, great idea when you could work from home and buy a place in Pacific Grove when your business was located in Santa Clara. Well, now they're saying we want you back in the office. So now you got a problem. The funny thing about Marina, and and I know a little bit more about that than most people in the housing there, because my nephew actually has been the broker for those hundreds of houses out there. He sells, you know, a couple a week when they have the inventory. Uh, they just finished their uh, latest phase, and they're about to go in another one with over 400 uh, houses. Uh, but they started out at you could get them for around four hundred thousand dollars, and we're right. talking well, what I, eight years ago, maybe. Dan, Dan wow, I got to tell a million Mark, bucks. I got to tell it, you, Mark and Dan, quietly, we were out at a supermarket over in Marina. 
they it is quietly getting gentrified over there quite very quietly like i went into that supermarket and i was like holy cow there's a lot of like upper middle class people in the supermarket yeah, yeah. And you just tell from the way they're dressed and it's like uh, this is different than five years ago when i moved here you know well you know back well, a lot of, a lot of the people coming in are paying cash yeah so the interest rates don't affect them they've got a waiting list uh and my nephew said about and this was probably about four years ago but i don't imagine it's changed much he said about half the people coming in were buying the houses because they could get them cheaper than they could in Silicon Valley. And they looked at it was a, a short drive to 101 and up, you know, up 101 to, to work. Yep. Well, and also and, the Black Horse and Bayonet. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention oh, yeah. to that, but they built they've built like 100, 150 houses there. They're all uh, like one point five to two million dollars. They're just, you oh, know, they're more yeah. than more than that. They didn't Maybe build quite that, yeah. that many, but they they. Uh, there are more than that. But the funny thing was, uh, half a dozen years ago, the guy that had that property could not sell a lot, could not get a house right, built. Right. And then Shea Holmes bought the project, and they're the same ones developing Marina. They brought the project, I think they called it the Lynx, and immediately you know, build, you build a model house, and people go, hey, this is really nice, and it's right on the golf course. And they, you know, since they're professionals in marketing and not just somebody that – you know, got a great deal on government. And, and if you're, yeah, if you're more of a sunny kind of person, the the climate over there, it's it's five ten degrees warmer, typically more sunny. It's really it's got windy, a very good though. retirement yeah. flavor to it. Here's, so yeah, Go ahead, and here's Mark. the big appeal with with the Silicon Valley to Marina, is you know, and I mentioned the building and the opening of the aquarium as an impetus for more people coming to the peninsula. Also, the Highway 101 extension between San Jose and Morgan Hill that opened in the mid-80s as well, like 1985 or so, right around the same time as the aquarium. That was, that was huge in making it faster for people to get from the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, to the Monterey Peninsula. Because prior to that, um, and, and primarily, that extension of 101 was built to be able to you know, have more housing and Morgan Hill, San Martin, Gilroy, and, and San Benito County for for uh, Silicon Valley. But it also, they, one of the unintended consequences was it made it easier to get to Monterey from San well, Jose. Because back in the old point, days, Mark, you used to drive Mark, down. Do you know where the Monterey Road is in San Jose, Paul? Yes, yes, I so do. So what, yeah, yeah. what you used to have to do when you wanted, to, on come, that? When you wanted yeah. to come to Monterey, you got on the Monterey Highway in San Jose and you took it all the way to Cochrane Road in Morgan Hill, and you made a left at Cochrane Road, and that's where Highway One One Hundred One started again. So, wow. well, and there well, are like I would say Mark, twenty Mark, or thirty point. stop signs, twenty or thirty oh. stoplights on Monterey <laughs> Road between San Jose and Morgan Hill. Yeah, I was wondering and, why that was called Monterey Road, but now, I, but Mark, to, to what you're saying there is really interesting because you think. And this, I mean, Land Watch would go into an apoplectic seizure if I even mentioned this around him. But the from Prunedale to Castroville, if they ever improve that highway there, uh, you know how how um, the one tr goes from like a two two lane to a one lane right there at right. Uh, at Castroville. If they improve that to like a four lane road, so it's two two lanes each way, divided highway, that would do what you're talking about. I think to Marina, I think Marina would start becoming like an annex. It would start looking more like Aptos. Uh, if they did that. So anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I'm I'm pretty sure if they took the, uh, what's that road? 156 is that yeah, right? 156. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if they made that a four lane road, I think I think you'd start seeing Marina and start taking on the aspect of Aptos. Yeah, and it's probably just a matter of time. And compared to saying, say, when we're going through the housing element to circle back a little bit, I I went to Yosemite. And it's amazing that you can go for tens of miles and not see a house on some of those, you know, roads, back roads, getting outside of Los Banos, stuff like that. Let's build there. You know, where's the concept that you just, you know, you're going to turn Pacific Grove into the French Riviera or something? You know, it's just. Dan, Dan, who the hell wants to live in Merced? Well, sorry, but some people do. It's like Atwater, you know, the armpit of America, and there's people that live there for God. Uh, nothing against Merced. I mean, it's a delightful Or Atwater. Or but... Lodi. Actually, Lodi, <laughs> to, for, to your point. You no, know, I keep saying to your point, but but what you're saying, Dan, is like we went to Lodi, and it was actually pretty delightful. It gets to be 110 there in the summer, but they have like wineries, and it was kind of a nice little city. They have a little lake there. 
I don't know. Oh, Lodi would. Oh, I mean, Fieldsburg or Emeryville. Certainly, like, there's a lot of them. But since the, John the, Fogarty written a song about, wrote a song about it, it's changed quite a bit. I think when. Uh, yeah, stuck in was, Lodi. Yeah. yeah, he was talking about stuck in Lodi, and I was like, hey, Lodi, it's not that bad of a place to be stuck. I don't the know. Problem is that, on the other hand, the Pacific Grove. Yeah, that's the, right. And you experience because what happens when it gets hot in the valley? All roads go to Pacific Grove. I that's mean, it's right. insane wow. how many people come here. And, and it's the weather. Who the heck wants to be in 106, 110 degree weather, for goodness sake? Oh, oh, there we go, Mark. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Somebody had to be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. But what what is the point of the song? What is he? He was just he's stuck in Lodi he again. He's just stuck there for uh, no reason, or what? You know, it's it? like it's like the streets of Bakersfield by Dwight Yoakam. You know, just a, mm-hmm. another bad town in the San Joaquin Valley to be stuck in. <laughs> yeah. I I actually think uh, it was actually uh, uh, it wasn't Dwight Yoakam that originally sang the streets of Bakersfield. It was. Um, Buck Owens. No, Haggard. No, Buck Owens. Sang. Buck Owens. Oh, it Buck Owens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, bring up, don't bring up Dwight Yoakam around me. Sometime I'll tell you Dwight Yoakam's story. All right. Well, Next I'd love time. to hear it. All right. Oh, yeah. He looks great in those leather pants, though, yeah. doesn't he, Dan? Oh, you don't want to see him up close. <laughs> guys, I, I got to run. How about you? I got to run, too. Hey, what's the plan, Monterey.com? I expect a lot of uh, vitriol and comments this week. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> All the best. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.